before we begin, I want you to just take a quick look at what's on the screen. This is, can you all see that? Right, this is our salawat goal. Alhamdulillah, as you are aware, we made an um, effort here that with students and others came up with an idea of that during this uh, follow uh, this, these few weeks leading up to the Sira conference, which is next weekend. The goal was to have a dedicated amount of uh, salawat. Like a person before he goes for Umrah or Hajj, what is, what is the first thing we should be doing is weeks and months before that, we should increase in our salawat. So with the Sira conference coming in, we thought that what better way to receive this blessed day in which we speak and celebrate the life of Rasulullah than by sending salawat beforehand. This is something that we have learned from our teachers and our elders that when a person visits Madinatul Munawwara, before he does so, he should try to send a big gift, a big gift of salawat. And so we may be going for Umrah inshallah this season. And if we're not, then at least we have niyyah to go, that Ya Allah open up the way for us to go. So if you can't go physically, at least you can send your gift through salawat. And who, be, who is a better carrier of this gift than the angels? Allah has angels deputed to send these salutations. So any type of salawat is beautiful, beneficial, rewarding. In something as simple as sallallahu ala Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, as short that may be, but it is very, still very weighty in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is two, two salawat, sallallahu ala Muhammad one and sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So as you can see, now we're at two and a half million. Our goal, and we are trying to reach at seven million. So all of you who are listening online and those of you who are here, we have approximately 10 days left. So I ask every one of you, inshallah, to make a commitment to try to do about 2,500 a day yourselves, or 2,000, or 1,500. And uh, ask your family members to join you in their own goals. And this is, uh, The Qur'an says you should compete with one another in things of this sort. In the matters of deen is where the competition needs to be. Not in the matter of material things, but in the matters of deen. So when you, how proud you could be Thankful to Allah when you go to bed knowing your three children, your four children, each one of them did 2,500 salawat. Alright? How people say, Alhamdulillah, my child is in this college, my child is in this high school, this is his grades. Well, imagine the happiness that you can have when you know that every child of yours has done a few thousand salawat on a daily basis. That's, some, that's, that's something to be really thankful for. But this discussion doesn't even happen anymore. That's why it's our job to create the new, proper new culture. We have to, our job is to not follow a culture, but create a culture. Create a culture in which these things are spoken about. These things are looked upon highly. These things are people compete with one another for. These things people are, have it on their minds. That how much, what is, the, you know, what you call mindfulness. That to be alert and awake to see how much salawat have I done today. The day has come to an end. A couple hours before I go to bed. How much salawat have I done today? Right? People are mindful of the footsteps they take through their various apps. They're counting how many steps they have. Yeah? If you don't have those, you don't recognize how many steps. This was never a discussion 20 years ago. Who used to talk about steps before? This is a new mindset. That be aware of how many steps you're taking. Well, this is a mindfulness we need to have. Is how many salawat, how much dhikr have we done today? And that's why having a goal, like the 10,000 step goal, people say, or more or less, then they're motivated to complete that before. He might be walking around in his living room before he goes to bed. But what are you doing? So oh, I need to complete my goal. So... If we have a goal of, of two, three thousand per day, then inshallah, ta'ala, you won't fall asleep until you complete that goal. 
So why is it that in every other aspect of this dunya we're so goal-oriented? But in the matters of deen, there's no concept of a goal. That this is something I need to also work towards. My beloved listeners, I encourage you within this next 10 days, let's work as a community. All of those who are listening online, who will listen afterwards, who are present here, I want you to please go back home today. Or if you're listening from home, look at each other, look at your family members and say, okay, fine. As a family, we can do four or 5,000 a day. And by, by Jumu'ah, we can do 10. And within this next week, we can do 20, 30. As a source of encouragement, Alhamdulillah, I, you know, I asked the first year students to compete with one another over the weekend to see how much they can do. And I'm so happy to say, Alhamdulillah, one of them, mashallah, did over just this past weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 56,000 approximately. One, one youngster, right? Another, mashallah, youngster was doing 30,000 a day this past week. A day. So how do you do that? They're not superhumans. They're just simply mindful of this. That I need to make sure. Uh, I need to keep my tongue busy in the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's the benefit of durood and salawat. That when a person says that, he is going to be saying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's name and he's going to be saying Rasulullah sallallahu name. Both. Sallallahu ala Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa Inshallah, will we do this? Alright, let's ask a little bit. How many of you have kept up with your memorization? Have begun your journey of hifd of Surah Kaf? Raise your hand. How many are you memorizing on the process? Raise your hand high. If you are memorizing Surah Al-Kahf as we speak right now. We have one, two, three, four. All right, five, six, seven. Anyone in the back I missed? It's eight. MashaAllah. Alhamdulillah. Nine. Very good. How many of you make niyyah to start? You haven't started yet. All right, so that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. 17, 18, 19, 20, mashallah. Great. Alright, how many of us have recited Surah Al-Kahf more than once this week? More than once. Okay, alhamdulillah. Very good, that's a great start. And I'm sure the rest of you are reciting it on a regular basis, at least on Jum'ah. My beloved brothers and sisters who are listening now, make niyyah inshallah, we still have many more months ahead. Just get started. Come on, just do one ayah a day. One ayah a day. And you, before you know it, you will be ahead of me. You know where our tafsir is. So um, we have, uh, you know, a whole setup. How did they join that class? So far? So far, 10 brothers and 10 sisters have joined the Hifd of Surah Al-Kahf class. If you would like to uh, join, you can meet Hafiz Omar here. And, uh, or, and we do send out the link for those who have registered for this tafsir. We do send out the link for the class. So um, you can, inshallah, you know, just make sure, make sure you... Uh, do, uh, you know, uh, join, uh, do register, and inshallah tabarak wa ta'ala, um, join this effort of memorizing Surah Al-Kahf. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Allahumma salli wa sallim ala Sayyidina Muhammad, wa ala ali Sayyidina Muhammad, wa barik wa sallim, rabbi shahli sadri, wa yassirli amri, wa ahlul uqdatan min lisani yafqahu qawli, subhanak la ilmanana illa ma'allamtana, subhanak la ilmanana illa ma'allamtana, subhanak la ilmanana illa ma'allamtana, innaka anta al-alimu al-hakim, Allahumma alimna ma yinfa'una, wa anfa'na bima allamtana, wa zidna ilman wa amala, Allahumma nawar qulubna bi'ilmik, wa sta'amil abdanana li ta'atik, Allahumma antiq al-haqqa ala lisanina, Allahumma antiq al-haqqa ala lisanina, wa fiqna lima tuhibbu wa tarda min qawli, wa al-amali, wa niyyati wa l-uda, Make intention now. Ya Allah, I'm here for your sake. I'm here to benefit from your kalam. Oh Allah, inspire the speaker with those words that are most beneficial for me. And inspire the speaker to say that which will give me the solutions to the problems that I am going through in my life currently. And oh Allah, allow this dars to become a means of me rejuvenating my relationship with you and with the Quran. Ameen ya Rabbil Alameen. 
we will move on to uh, the uh, next ayah today. We're starting off from ayah number 13. نَحْنُ نَقُصُّ عَلَيْكَ نَبَأَهُمْ بِالْحَقِّ إِنَّهُمْ فِتْيَةٌ آمَنُوا بِرَبِّهِمْ وَزِدْنَهُمْ هُدَىٰ Let us go through the uh, translation of all the verses first. Actually, We now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, We now relate to you their tidings with profound truth. We now relate to you their tidings with profound truth. Indeed, there were youth who blessed, who believed in their Lord alone, so we increased them in guidance. Ayah number 14. And thus we secured their hearts when they stood before the people. Rabata is to secure. We secured their hearts. Idqamu when they stood before the people. Faqalu and they proclaimed. What did they, what did they proclaim to in front of the king and the people? Rabbuna, our Lord is the Lord of the heavens and the earth. We therefore we shall never call upon any God apart from him. For verily we would have turned, we would have then uttered an outgracious lie. Meaning. If we were to commit shirk and if we were to say there's a God besides Allah, this would be an outrageous lie. And we would never say something like that. These, our people, have taken gods and worship apart from Him. They are crying now over the plight of the condition of the ummah. These, our people, have taken gods and worship apart from Allah, from Him. If only they would come forth with manifest authority for their worship of them. Where is the dalil? Where is the proof that there exists a God besides Allah? If only you would bring the proof. We would listen. We would look at what you have to share. For who does a greater wrong than the one who forges lies against Allah? The greatest oppressor, the greatest sinner is the one who lies against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by claiming that he has a son, a partner, a wife. Okay, so then the next ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِذِ اعْتَزَلْتُمُوهُمْ وَمَا يَعْبُدُونَ إِلَّا اللَّهَ فَأُوْ إِلَى الْكَهْفِ يَنْشُرْ لَكُمْ رَبُّكُمْ مِنْ رَحْمَتِهِ وَيُهَيِّئْ لَكُمْ مِنْ أَمْرِكُمْ مِرْفَقًا وَإِذِ اعْتَزَلْتُمُوهُمْ And so, when the people of the cave said to one another, since you have withdrawn from them, and from what they worship other than Allah, then take shelter in the cave. Since you have withdrawn from them, and you have left what they're worshipping besides Allah, then take shelter in the cave. Your Lord will unfold for you something of His mercy. And He will furnish you in your present circumstances with good facility to meet your needs. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you two things. 
He will unfold for you something of His mercy. And He will furnish for you in your present circumstances with good facility to meet your needs. So we'll stop over here and we'll go over these verses inshallah if we, if we cover more verses then we'll recite those as well. So Allah Azza wa Jal, as I had mentioned at the end of last week that now from verses 13 onwards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now repeats the story in more detail. And after giving the gist of it initially He is now giving, giving a, a more detailed analysis. This reminds me of how our Ustad used to teach, Mawlana Suleiman Choksi Sahib used to teach Usul Shashi and other books. Before the class would start, he would give the gist of the whole lesson. Very nice way of teaching. Give the gist of the whole entire lesson. And then after that, he'd explain it without looking into the book, without getting into the details, the text, the Arabic text and, and whatnot. He said, this is what we're going to cover today. And, and then after that, he would move on to the actual... A lesson. So this is an interesting way of teaching and a beneficial way of teaching that we go over the main points of what we're going to cover and then after that go into the details. So the Quran does here in Surah Al-Kahf just that. Gives us the basic details and then goes into a more uh, uh, thorough discussion. نَحْنُ نَقُصُّ We are the ones all right, that will share this story. If someone, if the storyteller was someone besides Allah, there was a chance of mistakes being made. There was a chance of misrepresentation of the facts, missing out the facts, forgetting the facts. But when the narrator of the story is none other than Allah, then you can feel assured that you're going to get exactly what happened and you're going to get the most important up-to-date story. So that's what Nahnu tells us. Additionally, we learn... That when Allah Azza wa Jal speaks about, there's two aspects to Allah. One is Allah's that, Allah's uh, you know, being. And then there's one, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's attributes. Af'al or sifat. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about His being, He says, Inni Allah, Indeed I am God. None worthy of worship besides me. Then Allah Azza wa Jal uses uh, the singular form, Ana, I. I. And when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to speak about His attributes, Usually in the Quran, we see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses the plural form. Or the, what we call the royal we. The royal we. Uh, as the kings may say, you know, we have this, decreed this and we have done this. Even though it's one person who is making that decision. But it's that royal we that is used in the Quran. And when does this get used? This gets used when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking about specific af'al and actions. Like narrating the story. This is not to do with Allah's being, which is one and only one, but rather this Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's attribute. So Allah Azza wa Jal, many times he, he chooses to change from singular form to the royal we. And here you have Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala using the royal we. So we share with you, Allah Azza wa Jal says, relate to you their tidings with profound truth. So there was false narratives, false details, false Aspects of the story that were shared by the people at that time. So Allah is saying, leave out those false additions of this story. I'm going to share with you the actual story. Bilhaq. It's, it's the real story there without any fluff, without anything that's added in there, subtracted in there. Okay, now the aspect of story, my beloved friends, the word qissa. 
Qisla gives you the meaning of detail. Because Qasasa is in the story of Kahf is going to come later on. Musa and Khadr. What happened? When Musa couldn't figure out that he missed the place where he was supposed to meet Khadr, he started walking back. They both started walking backwards on their footsteps to figure out where they had missed where Khadr was. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had said to them beforehand, what? That a fish will jump out out of your basket, lunch basket. And that's where Khadr is waiting. So they forgot about it. Musa was resting. His nephew, was, Yusha, was, was, you know, didn't, didn't remember to tell him that this happened. So they walked back. So Qasa gives you the meaning of tracing your footsteps back. So the one who is sharing a story, Allah it's as though you are going back to the actual incident and walking back on the path, walking back, watching these footsteps, replaying history. So this is what meaning Qissa gives us. Naba, Naba is a very big news. Like, What are they asking about? The disbelievers are asking about the great news. What is the great news? The day of judgment. Not like, what type of snacks are going to get served with chai today? Right? Whatever it is, alhamdulillah, we'll take it. But that's not the big news. But the big news is, what is, when is the Day of Judgment? So the Qur'an is, uses the word Naba. And this is one of the possible root words of the word Nabi. That a Nabi is called a Nabi because he shares with you the Naba. The Nabi is called a Nabi because he shares with you the most important, biggest events of the future. Right? That's what a Nabi comes for. To share with us the happenings of this world. The major happenings of this world. So Allah Azza wa Jal says, we're going to share with you their tidings, their news, their big events with the truth. So this tells us that the smaller details which are not part of the Naba are going to be left out. And that's what the Quran does. It sticks with the meat. right? Focus on the gist of the story. Focus on the lessons of the story. Don't focus on unnecessary details. Because that takes you away from the maqsad. I see this so often when I'm traveling and here as well. Youth come and say, can I ask you a question? Sure. But majority or most of the time or many times the questions are absolutely so irrelevant to their life. Things that are, you know, not even I would say the, uh, the ulama council of a country are discussing yet. And I'm like, you know, you're discussing things about implementation of certain things in a certain manner, hypothetical scenarios. Why? Why not figure out how can, how can I get some assistance in learning how to recite Qur'an properly? Why not asking, I made this mistake in Isha, do I need to repeat my salah or not? How do I even learn the rules of what, in, what invalidates my prayer and will do? What are the rules of doing sajda to saho? How do I go about that? No one wants to ask about that. You know, this is interesting. I wanted to teach, I wanted to teach fiqh when I came back. And I realized, that's what it is. If people do not know how to pray, people don't know how to do wudu, people don't know how to fast, what's, what, what deen have they got left? So, I said that we need to teach fiqh. But very quickly I realized, the condition on the ground here, after returning back from overseas, that people are not interested in learning fiqh. Who's gonna study that? Namaz, roza, come on. We want something new. We want something interesting. What do, what's interesting? Arabic. Quranic Arabic. So I said, okay. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll run with this. And we said, fine. 
if you all don't want to study fiqh, we'll teach it to you without you realizing it. How you give medicine? You put it in a sweet, put it in a candy, halwa, and you give it to them. So we said, we'll teach fiqh in the garb of Arabic. And alhamdulillah, it worked. So, mashallah, it's been now 14, 13, 14 years since we have the summer Arabic intensive. And it all started off with a knee of actually teaching people deen. People teaching people fiqh, but they don't want to learn it. So then we said, okay, fine. Put it in the garb of Arabic, Quranic Arabic. And when they come in, we'll teach them that and we'll teach them what we really need to teach them. And it's, it's sad that people, they don't want to focus on what they need to learn. And they want all sorts of unnecessary extra things. Learning Quranic Arabic is important. That's what we're here. That's what we do. But that is not more important than learning what? Learning how to pray. The very first thing you need to do is improve our method of praying, improve our method of, of doing wudu, knowing know how of ghusl, and our, our children, our adults also are unaware of this. The fiqh of marriage and divorce, unfortunately, people are not aware of it. So it's just, it's just something to think about. The learning, what is fiqh? How to please Allah at any given time. That's what fiqh teaches you. How to follow Rasulullah's path at any given time. That's what the fiqh teaches you. That's what we need to learn. That should be the priority. But what shaitan does, it makes us focus on ancillary issues, debates, and makes us f- forget the you know, the actual maghz and the lubbul lubab and the meat of what we need to go, what, where we need to be headed. So Qur'an does not want you and I to go into unnecessary details. It wants you to focus on the story. When you get to too many details, then you miss the whole point. That's something to understand here that Qur'an says, Naba. I'm not going to share all the details here. I'm going to share the most important details. إِنَّهُمْ فِتْيَةٌ آمَنُوا بِرَبِّهِمْ Alright, so this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, indeed they were young people. Right, indeed they were young people, youth who believed in Allah. I know I spoke about this last week a little bit, and we're gonna, uh, of course the whole story was mentioned last week, or in the previous weeks. But the Quran goes over it again, so we're gonna go over it again. Um, that indeed they were a group of people. Number one, they were young. So when you have youth, which mashallah we see in front of us here. Mashallah. So many youth, majority of the crowd here, I would classify as youth. This is a very good sign. This is an amazing sign of rahmah of Allah upon all of us. That there were youth who could have been, where people are usually in youth, they're, they're following their desires. They're following their uh, base desires. They're involved in indulgence sin. And so now that's why a youngster who leaves the desire to sin and comes towards Allah is valued much more than someone who's been there, done that, and now has no desire for any good, or rather any evil. He's got one foot dangling in the grave and says, let me come back towards Allah. Not to say that they're not valued either. They're valued as well. But someone who says, you know, I'm going to give up all my temptations, even when I'm young, to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That person is special. So all of you young women and, and men who are here listening on site, online, you should thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He has brought you here. And He, inshaAllah, can make you and I from amongst those people who will be under Allah's throne. Three, seven categories of people. And one of them is who? Shabun nasha'afi ibadatillah. A youngster who grew up worshipping Allah. A youngster who grew up worshipping Allah is so special that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give him a place under His throne. So my beloved friends, uncles and aunties, moms and dads, if you and I want to become the fathers of those who will be gifted a place under the throne, what should we do? We should try to bring them to the house of Allah. 
as much as we can. Bring your sons, bring your daughters, connect them to the scholars, connect them to the gatherings of dhikr and ilm, and make them desire to be here. When they desire to be here, then they will have a spot under the throne, and guess what? We hope, inshallah, that they'll keep a spot for you as well. Right? And because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to give you the reward. As a father, you raise your son like this. As a mother, you raise your daughter like this. You are going to get the reward of raising them in this manner. Hence, you should have a spot under the throne as well. Think about what I'm saying here. That this should be our psyche. We should be thinking about this. We have students who are walking around with a laptop. For those who didn't get a chance to register outside, please um, try to be um, cooperative with them. So this is... Shabu Nashafi Ibadatillah is a youngster who is who is wanting to bring change. So these people are young. So if we want to bring change in any society, we need to get to the young people. That's it. We need to motivate the young people. And this is this is what we need to look in all the communities. What percentage of the people coming for Fajr are young? What percentage of the people coming for our programs are young? What percentage of the people even coming for Jummah? Subhanallah, I just recently had a chance to speak in a Jummah and I was in the middle of the crowd and just looking. Although people are wearing masks, but I can see, right? And I'm looking at this crowd of 300 people and I'm trying to see where can I find someone under 30 in this crowd? Alright? Almost, if not, if not all, almost all look very clearly to be immigrants. If this is the condition of Jummah, that you have 95%, 99% immigrants, where, what's the future? To, where is the future of our masajid? Where is the future of our programs? That's what we need to think about. If you want to, we have to have this health check. I've been thinking about this. How come there's no checkup on the masjid? There's check for everything. Our self-diagnostics for all starts phone to computer to microwave to dishwasher to big huge power plants. There's so much diagnostics taking place. Self-diagnostic and external engineers checking it up. All sorts of things happening. But what about the health of our masjid? What percentage of people of the community are showing up to Salah? What percentage of them are younger than 30? What percentage of them are younger than 20? What percentage of them, uh, you know, are, are in school and yet are coming to the masjid? On a weeknight, what is your percentage looking for? What is Fajr looking like? What's Jummah looking like? Who is going to have those numbers? Right? How come the masjid does not run in a manner that our normal office, small uh, business, or anything runs? Every single thing we've got bookkeeping for. We've got numbers, we've got stats, we've got data for everything. And the one thing that just runs completely haphazardly is what? The masjid. We're gonna pray Isha, you have one saf or ten saf, doesn't make a difference. Allahu Akbar. We start our salah on time. One saf or ten saf. What does it make to me? My job is to lead. Your job is to give the adhan. After that, I don't care. That's what it is. The attitude of the masjid is like, it's not my problem. The masjid's open. If you wanna come, show up. If you don't wanna come, don't show up. That's not how any businesses run. And I'm open for business. You don't want to come, no problem. I'll just, I won't have a single customer and we'll continue to run. No, that business will close down. So masajid have to think, why are you open? Why are you running? If you are not filled, if you don't have a steady base of customers, if I want to call it that, customers of Allah, then there's something really wrong with your business model. You have to change it up. And it is a responsibility of all of us to bring that change. We need young people involved in the masajid. And young people are not people who complain, but rather who do. I remember once, you see the young people need direction as well. I saw a group of young people sitting together after Salatul Dhuhr in one masjid. I thought, oh, what are you guys doing? He said, we're gathering together 
for, uh, to have a meeting. I said, what's your meeting about? He said, we're going to have a fundraiser, youth fundraiser. I said, what are you going to do with the youth fundraiser? What are you going to do with that money? You're not building the masjid. Obviously, the masjid is built. How much money are you going to raise through a bake sale? Well, uh, we'll just probably do another youth fundraiser after that. I'm serious. This is the answer they gave me. And I'm like, where's the direction of the youth? That if you're sitting together, the first thing that comes to mind is a bake sale. But we don't need money. Your dad's, mom's got enough. We don't need more money. We don't need you go seriously sell cupcakes. That's the last thing that ummah needs, is our girls and guys selling cupcakes. And the last thing we need is to eat those cupcakes too. <laughs> right? What we need is people in the masjid. That's it. You can hand out free cupcakes to who comes for Fajr. Yeah, no problem. Do that. Free brownies if you come for Isha. Maybe that will work. But there's no need for us to do a bake sale. I want us to start reflecting on our mindset. How it really is not productive. Like this type of, you know, we just see, whatever others do, we got to do the same thing. No, the first thing is not how to make money. Money is there, masjid is already there. Asal, main thing is not budgeting. The main thing is getting people to the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's what you got to budget. How many people are here? I remember one scholar, when this masjid, before it got built, I was fundraising one community. He assisted me. May Allah reward him. He really, you know, humbled himself and, 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 and stood outside his own local masjid with a box, homemade box his wife made for, for us. Because I didn't have anything to raise after Jummah for this masjid, you know? And then after that, he sat with me and he said, you know, you're building a masjid. You have to have, like any other business, you have to have goals. And if you don't meet those goals, then you got to know you're not doing something wrong. And I said, like, well, what do you mean by that? He said, well, you have to have stats on the first day. How many show for Isha? How many show for Fajr? And over a period of months and years, there has to be a steady increase. Otherwise, you're failing. Otherwise, you're failing. So some people don't understand why I'm trying to be so focused on numbers. I tell the students here, give me stats for Isha. Right? Give me stats for Fajr. We need that. We need that recorded. It's like, wow, what difference does it make? Why? Because why are, we need to run this like a business. If, it does, if people are less coming, we've got to find out why. What are we doing wrong? Is it the snow is not being cleared? Is the exit entrance sign not clear? Huh? Is the salah timing wrong? Meaning it's too early, too late? You have to figure out what are you doing that it needs to be changed to be able to get people into the masjid. Look at how many billions is spent in marketing. Billions. And they study the mindset of the people. And based on that, they choose a color of a screen. They choose a scholar of an app. All of that is not fake. There's the smartest and most intelligent people from amongst us are working in that department of how to attract the mindset of people, to attract their attention towards an app to a certain website and to keep them looking on there. Keep on clicking, keep on watching. There's a whole massive science, multi-billion dollar science that goes into that. Where's the science in the deen? Where's the science in the deen? We're not even thinking along those lines. And that's our problem. We never even made it our goal that we have to fill up the masjid, that we have to have our programs full to capacity, and that we have to have all sorts of, you know, you know it's, we, we cannot have a train running on empty. If a program is happening, we have to have it filled to capacity. That's the mindset all the masajid and all the Islamic institutions and all the programs need to have. No, my friends. If an airline runs empty, it's going to be called cancel that flight. There's no point. We can't run it. You're wasting, causing pollution. So a masjid, I'm not saying cancel a masjid. But what I'm trying to say is that we have to, before we end up becoming like the churches that are going on for sale. Why? Because business model. Eventually the people who built it are dead. And their grandkids don't care about it. They're like, yeah, my granddad built it, so what? I'm not interested in this stuff anymore. 
And we're already seeing such a huge number of people leaving the fold of Islam every single day. So, you ask yourself, what's going to happen to these huge institutions that are just focused on what? Budgeting. Money, money, money. Any issue, it's about how much will it cost. Imam nahi Majority of masajid don't have imams. And I'm begging, I speak to these people, board members of masajid. I give them a whole model of how to raise the money. I'm like, money will come when you have the imam. Why would people, why would the local people want to give you money when you don't have an imam? Then sometimes local people, they're like, oh, our board doesn't want to. I said, forget the board. You do it yourself. You can go to 20 houses and ask people to sign up for $200 a month, get an ACH, create a thing, and just tell the masjid board, khalas, you know what? You don't have to worry about it. We got an imam. We'll take care of it. And if they still say no, then go find another masjid to pray in. And not just pray in, like I said last week, to live your life around. Because the masjid is a cave. So I hope you understand that this problem is a very massive problem in this country of the masajid being empty and especially devoid of youth. And the leadership and the solution for this is coming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We have to make an effort as young people who are listening to me here. You are the future of this country. You need to stand up and you need to say, okay, fine, I got to do something about it. I can't just, I don't, I'm not, I don't want you to just show up for once a week tafsir, which is huge. Beautiful. But I want you to make a loftier goal beyond this. That you will give back to the masjid. You will give back to the community. You will go establish deen in the masajid that are all around in our communities wherever you are from. And for that, you have to have some ilm. Otherwise, we'll just do what? A meeting for fundraising. A bake sale. That's what we'll do. How are you going to learn that? You're going to learn that from madrasas. You're going to learn that from seminaries. That's why any youngster, who, boy or girl, young man or woman who's here, who says, you want to do something, I encourage you, number one, to take a step towards seeking knowledge. Without knowledge, you're not going to be able to guide. It'll be, it'll be blind people leading other blind people. You need knowledgeable people in a position to lead. What is an imam going to do? By the way, now. What is an imam? You get the best imam. Imam is one man. He needs to have wazirs around him. He needs to have ministers around him. He needs to have helpful people around him. And that's usually the board... But the board themselves, if they have no knowledge, no concern, and they're not on the right, they're not on the same page, and they value everything from a materialistic perspective, they have no spiritual dimension, they're not looking through a spiritual lens. There you go. The best of the imams can't do anything. So now he needs to be surrounded by people of knowledge, people of tazkiyah, people of fikr for deen, people who care about deen. And now this leader, Amir, around with his ten knowledgeable brothers and sisters, will actually be able to bring change. So what I envision for our masajid, is that not only do we able to, we have learned scholars leading them, but they're surrounded by such a group of board of directors, an executive board, who are people of ilm, who have studied at least a year, like the one-year program that we have here, the summer intensive, and the one-year program. These are the basics that we should have a condition that in order for you to become a board member, you have to have some credentials. Imagine you have someone on a bank board, and his credentials is that, you know, he's a software engineer. It's just not going to work. He's a cardiologist with a fellowship in some, you know, some, some, high, some really intricate part of cardiology. It doesn't make a difference. How do you find yourself a seat on the executive board of a bank? It has nothing to do with that. So we need people. As a community, this has to come, solution has to come from within this room. That our sons and daughters have to be educated in the deen. We ourselves have to choose the path of education. And then we will be able to be actively involved within our masajid. And that's where the change is going to come from. Am I making sense? 
So you all sitting here make niyyah that you will study ilm and you will have your children study ilm. And inshallah you will not stay on the outside but you will get involved in your local masjids. And you will inshallah provide solutions to the ummah. So the first attribute of these brothers who left into this cave were they were, they were fitya, they were young. Number two, amanu bi rabbihim. They had faith in Allah. Now this is very beautiful point over here. They, had, they were young and they had faith. When you have these two things, you can pretty much conquer the world. When you're young and you have iman, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will help you conquer the world. Yani you can achieve great, you can achieve great heights. You can climb any mountain, basically. That's what I mean. So what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says? huda. We increase them in their guidance. Important point here. Iman in its quality increases and decreases. Iman increases and decreases on its quality. When we come to the table with something, Allah will add to that. When we come to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with some basic level of iman and a desire to increase, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will definitely increase, increase us. The Quran says, Those who are rightly guided, Zadahum huda, Allah increased them in their guidance. وَآتَاهُمْ تَقْوَاهُمْ And Allah gave them their taqwa. Surah Muhammad, Ayah 17. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah gave them taqwa, Allah gave them hidayah when they came themselves with hidayah. Another Quranic ayah, famous from Surah uh, Ankabut. وَالَّذِينَ جَاهَدُوا فِينَا لَنَهْدِيَنَّهُمْ سُبُولَنَا those people who strive to get to us, those people who make an effort to get to us, لَنَهْدِيَنَّهُمْ means Allah, lamb for emphasis, noon for emphasis, most definitely we will guide them to our paths. This is responsibility Allah has taken upon Himself. You make an effort to come to me, I will pave the path for you to find me. But you got to make that effort. You have to make that effort. You have to swim towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without, without comparing... Uh, without comparing ourselves to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for Him belongs the ultimate uh, attributes and qualities that are free from any type of resemblance. When a baby, what happens? When a toddler is learning how to walk, aja, aja, you tell the child, come, come, come. One-year-old, eight-month-old, ten-month-old, huh? And then, how happy you get when that baby starts walking towards you. And right before he falls, you go grab, go grab him. But that's the happiest moment that the baby is trying to make its way towards you. And then you give everything you have to be able to grab him. We have to show up. We cannot. Who are we to be able to walk towards Allah? Where do we have the tawfiq to walk to Allah? We don't. Our job is to simply attempt and show Allah that we're trying to walk towards Him. And then we will most likely trip and fall. And before we fall, Allah SWT will grab us. So we cannot walk towards Allah ourselves. However, we can attempt to walk, and we can show our desire to go towards Him, and Allah will take care of the rest. Allah subhanahu wa says, when they stood up in front of the king, right? Ah. When, when, they st- when they stood up in front of the king, Allah Jalla Jalal, who secured their hearts. Rabata means, I told you, what does it mean, Rabata? To tie. To tie. Um, now this is multiple places in the Quran Allah mentions the word rabata. Let's take the story of Musa salam in Surah Al-Qasas, ayah number 10. Allah says, وَأَصْبَحَ فُؤَادُ أُمُّ مُوسَى فَارِغًا This is the story in which Allah told Musa's mother to throw him into a, put him in a box and throw him into the river Nile. Now when she asked, I mean just think of yourself, 
you know, newborn baby, you're being asked to throw it blindly into a box, that's bad enough. But then throw it into a river and let the waves or the current of the river take it away. I mean, how could you do something like that? Allah told her, Alqihi fil yam, throw her into the river, throw him into the river. Wala takhafi, do not be scared. How can I not be scared? Wala tahzani, do not grieve. Inna raduhu ilayk, we will bring him back to you. Waja'iluhu minal mursaleen, and we will make him from amongst the prophets. We're not going to just bring him back to you. First of all, miracle that he's not going to die. Miracle number two is going to come back to you. Miracle number three is that he's going to become a prophet. Three miracles. Subhanallah. There are so many amazing lessons in this story, man. You got to blindly listen to what Allah tells you. And believe in the promises. Although everyone around you is going to say you're crazy. This is not going to happen. How can you say that you give up a $200,000 job that's from a haram company and you say, no, Allah is better. Allah will give you something better than that. But how can you get this? You are used to getting $70,000 job. How can you give up a 200 k job? But this is not halal. Or I'm going to miss my Jummah. I'm going to miss my prayer. Or my, you know, my deen is going to be sacrificed in this. And now everyone's going to say, take it, take it. And you say, no, I don't want it. It's not easy, it's not easy to make a decision like that. So... Musa salam's mother did a, the, something beyond what we can imagine. And he, she made this leap of faith and threw him. And my beloved friends, we see people making leaps of faith like this almost every day, maybe. And you say, man, how is this person able to accomplish that? How is he doing that? How are you making the sacrifice? Putting all your children to study the deen. Putting your... Putting your, uh, going yourself, taking time out. Look at, mashallah, may Allah preserve and protect our students who are left their jobs for a year to come take the one-year program. Today, one youngster told me something crazy, which is unexpected. I expected this, but I'm just sharing this with you. He just told me, he said, I went, I'm ta- I'm, after high school, I'm trying to take a one-year gap year to come study at Darussalam. He said, I told my classmates, non-Muslim classmates, they're like, oh my, that's so interesting, that's great, that's great. You know, that, go ahead and follow your dreams and whatever else they're saying. He said, I went to my counselor and I said, I'm worried about what to do because I'm worried about college exam entrance and college entrance stuff. And she's like, no, you got to follow, your, you follow what, your, what your religion says. This is really good. You're doing it for your God, for your religion. Could be nothing better than this. You know, don't worry about college. Everything will fall into place. And every Muslim in school is like, are you crazy? That's what he's telling me. Every Muslim is like, what? Why would you do stuff like that? Why will you give up your chance for a good school or a good college if you take a gap year? There you go. Right here is an example of what I'm trying to say. Is your own people who have been influenced by kufr are so stuck in a certain pattern of thinking that they cannot think outside of that box. Although outsiders, they look at us and they say, you're different from us and you're surviving, fine. And you're a minority, you survive, you can go ahead and continue being a minority and do your interesting things, no problem. We got no, no qualms with that. But our people who still think that we're still living under colonial rule and think that we have to follow what everyone else does, says to take a gap year off, they would understand that. When non Muslims, did you know their studies, my beloved brothers and listeners? There are multiple studies that came out about 10 years ago when President Obama, ex President Obama's daughter, decided to take a year off. I remember at that time reading. Articles and studies that showed the statistics on people who took a gap year with those who didn't. And how they ended up doing much better than their counterparts in college. 
they were much more mature, they knew what major they want to take, and they excelled in that. This is people who are going for camping, hiking, I don't know, for one year, finding their soul in Africa, right? We're talking about coming and studying the deen, which is obviously so much more structured. So imagine how much better you will be doing in university if you take time off to study. But people don't understand this today. They look at you weird. So for those people who have taken a year off to study here, their parents, their cousins, their uncles and aunts look at them and say, you've lost your mind? I know many of the students tell me this. And this will happen and you have to be willing to be called crazy amongst your own family. That's the price you gotta pay. If you're not willing to do it and you want everyone to give you big hugs and say you're on the right path, it's not gonna happen. My beloved friends, if they thought you were on the right path, they would be following your path. The fact that they are on a different page tells you they, they don't see eye to eye with what you are. Do you understand that, what I'm saying? And so that, don't expect them to agree with what you're saying and what you're doing. Musa salam's mother is about to make a decision that everyone in the whole world is gonna say you're crazy. Why would you do that? And it's so an important point, I'm highlighting this point because this is directly linked up with the fitna of Dajjal. You have to be willing to take the road alone. And look around by Mirsat Kone. Who's with me? No one? Chalo. No problem. Allah to hey. Allah is with me. Don't look at where the crowd is. Musa's mother, she made that leap of faith and she threw her child in. And the people who stand up to Dajjal will be just like her. Just like her, the, everyone else will be saying, You're crazy. Why are you standing up to this? And there will be a few people who will be saying, I hope you stand up with me. And if you don't, I'll go on, I'll go on it on, on my own. Now, how, do you, how are you capable of standing up on your own? This is the su'al. How did she do it? How are these youngsters doing it? How are these brothers and sisters studying the deen and making the big sacrifices? La, uh, you know, one, one person, mashallah, on the West Coast, high-paying, mashallah, him and his wife, high-paying job in one of the major companies of this country. He's giving up everything from there. Mashallah, moving here. For just for the Hifd al-Qur'an. He said, I don't have anything in my area and I want to long-term all my kids to study the deen. Of his own area, what are people going to say? Why would you do something like that? Why? Your companies, are they helping you? No, they're helping you. This, the company said, this is your own job. I mean, your own decision. We're not telling you to move. So, you know, we're not going to help pay for this. So people making decisions like this, they are guided people. How do you do this? Is what we're speaking about this ayah. The Qur'an says, when Musa Salam's mother did it, she says, in in she was about to spill the beans. She would have about to become emotional, start crying, pouring her heart out, and say, What have I done with my son? Had we not, the word rabat comes. Had we not tied or strengthened her heart. So that she could be from amongst the believers. Allah is saying, I gave her the strength to be able to control her emotions. I gave her the strength to take that bold step and to put her son in a box and throw it into a river and to look the other way. And not to scream out and cry out and become emotional and so that people say, but yeah, what's wrong? Why are you screaming? Why are you crying? Then she would spill the beans. We know this, our mothers, subhanAllah, there's no one more emotional about their children than moms. Smallest of thing, they start crying. As you throw away your kid towards utter destruction, how can you not cry? How can you not become emotional? But here is the proof. 
Allah says, I gave her the strength to stay strong. And that same Allah gave the strength to the people of the cave. He strengthened them and said, speak truth to power. Tell them, tell the king and the mushrikeen that you're not going to follow their ways. So what do we learn from these ayat, my brothers and sisters? Is that Allah is the one who gives us the quwa and the himma. Where do we learn this a dhikr? What dhikr we know? لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله لا حول عن المعصية There is no ability to keep me free from sin ولا قوة على الطاعة No strength to keep me steadfast on goodness إلا مستعين بالله Except while seeking assistance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala This is the wird and the dhikr that we need to do on a daily basis لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله علماء have said there's and from based on the hadith hundreds of benefits of this dhikr and the smallest of benefits is the removal of depression Right? Removal of depression. Why are people depressed? Because they feel that they have no control over their life. Their life is going in a direction different than what they anticipated, what they expected. And they feel, they feel hopeless because they don't have control over the ship. And la hawla wa la illa billah is telling you that yeah, you don't have control. Guess what? But the, it is in control of someone who is far more knowledgeable, far more superior, and far more powerful than you are. And that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Just let Him run the boat. Let Him run your life. When you know it's on autopilot, when you know it's being controlled from somewhere else, alhamdulillah, that you can rest assured, you sit down and relax. But if you're not aware that this thing is running on autopilot, and you think you're the only one who's controlling the ship, most definitely it's going to be a very scary uh, you know, moment for you. When you realize that, oh my God, this whole plane, this whole ship is on me, my shoulders. No, my friend, your life and my life is not in our hands. It is in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Submit to Allah by saying what? What dhikr? Share this with your family, share this with your, your children, and make a habit of it. Every single day, 100 times or 125 times. Our teachers have told us that if you are suffering from laziness and ibadah, you feel, you feel not motivated to study, not motivated to do ibadah, not motivated to worship Allah, not motivated to recite Quran, recite the dhikr. With this niyyah. Ya Allah, whatever shayateen and nafs is holding me down and not allowing me to achieve what I want to achieve, then through the barakah of the dhikr, destroy those shackles on me. And inshallah, you will see, the more you recite it, the stronger you will get spiritually. Every single day, you can increase it by 10 or 5 or 10. Start off with 100, 125, 150. And inshallah, things will start opening up. And our teachers have shared with us, like a 500 is an ideal number we should be working towards. 500 per day. With, specifically with this niyyah of you know, removing the shackles and chains of laziness from our, from our soul that do not allow us to attain the heights of spirituality that you and I want to attain and must attain. So here you go. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed her to control her emotions. And I think this reminds me of the hadith, um, Whoever tries to remain patient, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will grant him patience. So when even in the most difficult circumstance, people start losing their emotions, right? They start losing it. Ya Allah, I can't handle this horrible crisis. I can't handle this difficulty. Ya Allah, you give me the sabr and the patience. And when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chooses to give you that, you'll get it. That's one thing we understand from here. Second thing we understand here is that being emotional can cause a lot of problems. Had she spoken up and started crying, Musa salam would have been caught and Allah forbid would have been killed and dead and finished. That's a story there. So 
being emotional is not good all the time. Especially hysterically crying or being angry. Okay? That's why Nabi Wasallam told us if you're, if you're angry, then read A'udhu Billahi Min Shaitan Rajeem. If you're standing, sit down. If you're sitting down, lie down. Because anger is, in my words, like the, it is like the rope of a leash or a leash of shaitan. Once he throws this on you, anger, and yanks you, khalas, you and I are no longer the control of anyone besides shaitan. I mean, in that, in that realm that he makes us do what he wants us to do. He will inspire, he will push us to do things. Because he's now got us in the state of what? Say it. Anger. Because when we're angry, we cannot think for ourselves. And we end up saying things that we'll regret for the rest of our lives. Doing things that we regret for our lives. How many marriages have ended horribly? For no reason. Simply because one of the spouses decided to become angry and then not allow them to be in control of themselves. So that is why as soon as you get angry, you're supposed to say, A'udhu Billahi Mishtar Rajeem. Now if you know someone is angry, you tell them to say, read A'udhu Billahi Mishtar Rajeem. He says, no, you're the shaitan. I gotta read from you. You're the big shaitan. This is the hadith, my friend. This is not about, you know, I'm not trying to get upset at you. It's just like, let's, okay, how about we both say, A'udhu Billahi Mishtar Rajeem. You know, like that. Say, okay, fine, let's just start saying Al-Bilam Rajim out loud together. Because if you tell a person who's angry, say Al-Bilam Rajim, he's not going to like it, unfortunately. Because that's what Shaitan will tell him. That this, he knows, Shaitan knows that you are trying to extinguish the fire that he's put on. So he's not going to, he's going to make that person not say it. He's going to make the person not say it. So how do we go about saying it? That's why I say Al-Bilam Rajim out loud. And eventually, inshallah, you, his, your words will hit his heart, will hit his ears. And it will calm something down, and then maybe inshallah he'll get the tawfiq to say it. Like we do talqeen. When a person is passing away, we say, La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah, right? We keep on saying it in the company of someone who's passing away. So that eventually he says it as well. Ulama have said there are four types of hearts. Four types of hearts. One is called ajrad, one's called aglaf, one's called mankus, one's called mutadabdib. The ajrad heart is the heart that is connected, is free from anything and everything besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Completely connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You have an example of Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anhu. Right? When Umar radiallahu anhu was asked about the iman of Abu Bakr, he's like, that's just next level. Waqara fi qalbi. Iman is just like, uh, you know, anchored into his heart. Anchored into his heart. So there's no ifs and buts, there's nothing happening over here. Very strong anchoring into his heart. This is called Aqalb al-Ajrad. Number two is Aqalb Aghlaf from Qulubuna Ghulf. That the heart, Aghulf means, <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is the fact that it's a, it is a covering. Qulubuna Ghulf, Aghlaf means that Ghilaf, we say in Urdu Ghilaf, covering. So their hearts are in a Ghilaf. Aghlaf is a heart that is wrapped up. Doesn't understand anything. Okay? So this is the heart of a disbeliever. No matter how much you explain to him, he's not going to understand. Okay? Sometimes, we just got to let people go. There's one person who's asking me advice. He said, oh, there's someone outside of our masjid. Every day, every day after Jummah, his sister inviting towards Christianity. So, and this youngster is saying, I'm trying to go argue and debate with him. I said, see, this is what I was talking about earlier on. This is not the best use of your time. What are you doing? No, I'm going to try to convert him. But what are you talking about? Why don't you convert yourself first? <laughs> focus on what you got to do, man. You got to focus on him. This guy is giving da'wah outside of a masjid. He's so gung-ho about his Christianity. You're going to go sit there and argue with him? It's, an, it's not going to work. The best thing is to give him a samosa 
and tell him, hey, you know what? Come have lunch, free lunch at the masjid. And you know what? Maybe you listen to the Jummah khutbah. Every day, tell him, hey, have free lunch in the masjid and just listen to it. But don't preach over here. Just listen to the Jummah khutbah, eat your lunch, and move on. One day, maybe he'll get hidayah. But this is what we're speaking about. I mean, the people are very firm on their kufr and want to keep on pushing their way, right? We have to know where we got to invest our time. Allah SWT can give hidayah to anyone. That's no point. But as youth, we get excited about these type of people. This is what I'm trying to tell you. Focus. <laughs> Put your focus in the right place. Why do we all get excited about these, these type of instances where there's so many people who are so much easier to bring to the deen? They're already Muslims. They already were practicing, but they've just gotten fallen off the grid. All you got to do is call them up and say, let's go for ice cream and then go pray Isha. That's all he needs from you. But we're not doing that. We want to go after the Islamophobes, the trolls, and go after them. Right? That's, that's not the right way, right use of our, of our energy. Third is mankus, the upside down one. This is the heart of a munafiq who knew what was right and then decided to turn his back afterwards. I'm going to come back to this. Right? And the last one is mutadabdib. This is the, most people have this heart, which is mutadabdib means it changes back and forth. All right? goes back and forth, it changes. Sometimes good, sometimes bad, and things of that sort. Um, SubhanAllah. Now, I want to share with you a hadith regarding mankus. This hadith is a really powerful hadith regarding our era, I think it would apply. The Sahabi, this is hadith of Sahih Muslim. He says, Kunna in the Umar. The companion says, we were sitting with Umar radiallahu anhu. فَقَالَ أَيُّكُمْ سَمِعَ رَسُولُ يَذْكُرُ الْفِتَنِ Umar radiallahu anhu asked, who amongst you heard Rasulullah mentioning the trials? Who amongst you heard Rasulullah mentioning the trials? Fitnunka dhikr. Who heard who amongst you heard Rasulullah speak about trials? One of them said, We heard him. Some group of you said, We heard him. So he said, Do you, Are you talking about fitna to Rajuli fi ahli wajari? Are you speaking about the fact that a man has to go through fitna in his family? And fitna through his neighbors. Is that what you're speaking about? That your wife and your children or your husband and your children are your fitna and your neighbors are fitna? They said, yes. He said, oh, I know that. If you pray on time, if you fast and you give sadaqah, all of this will make up for that fitna. Whatever mistakes happened because of love for children, love for spouse, love for neighbors, whatever, whatever, however we failed over there, these amal will make up for it. Okay? I'm not speaking about that. I want something bigger than that. Which one of you heard Rasulullah speaking about the fitna that will, that will come at you like the waves of the ocean? Crashing waves of the ocean. I'm speaking about that fitna. Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman radiallahu anhu, who is the narrator of this hadith, as you all know, Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman was the narrator, keeper of secrets keeper of the secrets of Rasulullah and he was the greatest, one of the greatest narrators of the hadith regarding evil, bad things, trials, tribulations. So Hudayfa radhanu said, فَأَسْكَتَ الْقَوْمُ So everyone remained silent. They didn't know what Umar al wanted. So they kept quiet. And then Hudayfa spoke up and he said, أَنَا I did. أَنْتَ لِلَّهِ abuk. In the name of Allah, like what, what did you hear? He said, I heard the Prophet saying the following and I want you to listen to this hadith. Attentively. He says, He said, trials, fitan, trials will be presented, will be presented to the hearts. Ard means presentation. The heart of trials will be presented to the hearts. 
Kalhasir like a mat. Mat, a straw mat. Chatai, like a mat. Rudan Ruda, straw after straw. Let me explain this portion of the hadith. It means that, ulama have written, that there will be trials that will be hitting the hearts of the believers, like you stand at the beach, at the seashore, and a wave comes crashing at you, right? Does it stop? No. Within a minute, the next one comes. And many times, if you're there for a little bit, what happens? The next one is usually, <laughs> we find it to be what? Larger than the previous one. You thought that was big, just wait, wait till another one comes in. So these, and this, many times the water, it doesn't recede, it starts coming closer and closer up onto the beach. Depending on where you are and how the tide is and so forth. So when the tide is high, things get very, very, uh, you know, very tough. So he's saying here that the fitan will be crashing against the hearts. Just like those stones and those rocks on the beach get beaten up by the waves of the ocean, the hearts will get beaten up by the fitan of the era. And there will not be one, there will be new ones every single day or every single year, every single month. So just like if you look at a straw mat, you have chatai mat, a mat, you have straw one after another. Simil there's no gap. There's no what? Gap. Similarly, there's no gap between the fitna. As soon as one finishes, the next one shows up. As soon as one finishes, the next one shows up. That's one thing. Number two, that these straw mats are man-made, yeah? Similarly, these fitan will be what? Man-made. Number three, is that these straw mats, if you lie down upon them, they will leave an impression on your back or on your hand. Even after you're gone. Even after you stand up and walk away, they will leave an impression on your body. Similarly, these fitan, even after you have walked away, will leave a lasting effect on your mind and your heart. Even if you've left that area. You can't forget that past. Those thoughts, those ideas that have been polluted, polluted your mind, it's very hard to get them out. The lasting, those, they have long lasting effects on the mind and the soul. Right? So these are some of the explanations. There are more that ulama have given. But the idea is that it's back to back. There's no respite. And they're man-made. And they leave a mark. That's how these fitan will come. Now, how will these rocks or hearts handle it? He said, Whichever heart takes it in and seep, allows that fitna to seep into the heart. Like you have a sponge or a towel and you allow it to be soaked, soak into this, the water from the, from the uh, uh, wave. What will happen? A black dot will appear in that heart. Whichever heart takes in this fitna, a black dot will appear. And whichever heart says, no, 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 I'm not in for this. I do not accept this. I refuse to accept this. Pushes, pushes back. Then it's not just you just get protected from it. No, you'll have actually a white dot that will appear on that. Every single time you say no to a fitna. Every single time you say no to a temptation. Every single time you say to a no to a ism that is anti-Islamic and you don't allow it to enter into your home, that you say all the other kids are going towards there, but my children will not go there. All the other children are taking that, or listening to that, or reading that, or watching that. My children won't do that. Every single time you take a stand, a white dot will appear on your heart. 
So it's not just like black dot. No, there's a flip side of it. White dot will appear every time you say no. Next, حَتَّى تَصِيرَ عَلَىٰ قَلْبَيْنِ Until the entire ummah and all humanity will fall into two categories, two hearts. عَلَىٰ أَبْيَضْ مِصْلَ الصَّفَىٰ One group of people will have such a white, enlightened, munawwar heart that is as pure as silver. فَلَا تَضُرُّهُ فِتْنَةٌ مَا دَامَتِ السَّمَاوَاتُ وَالْأَرْضِ No child now will be able to harm this heart as long as the heavens and the earth are around. Meaning as long as you live, you're not going to fall into any trial because you have pushed back so much that Allah has given you the ultimate vaccine. Now you're not going to get affected. Because what happened? You built up your immunity. You've been exposed. Think about it, subhanAllah. You've been exposed to it and you've taken the right course of treatment. Every single time you've been exposed to a virus. You've done the right, you've taken the right course that now your body has become super immune according to Rasulullah that now no virus will be able to harm this body because you have done the right thing every single time you got exposed to that virus. And then the other heart, Rasul says, The other heart is like a upside-down cup, upside-down utensil, extremely you know, dark, that does not recognize anything good as good and does not recognize anything evil as evil. So scary. Any good you share with him, why? I don't understand that. Ajeeb zamana my friends. Wallahi, we're in, this is the zamana I feel we're in. That's why I feel this hadith is such an important. You tell someone, there's a 7 million salawat goal at Darussalam. And there'll be people look at you, it's like, eh, so what? Like, why would you do that? There's nothing better to do? Is this where the ummah's resources need to be? Right? Anything you share, mashallah, we have a khatm al Quran. At our, at, at this many khatms are done. They're not impressed. They don't care about this stuff. You say, my son just memorized Quran, he's 9, 10 years old. So what? Right? How is his math? How is English? I have people who ask me regularly, subhanAllah, literally. They know my son is doing hafiz, may Allah make it easy for him. But every time they meet me, but how is his academics going? I swear, I have people like that. How is his academics going? What grade is he in? Please don't forget about that, huh? Allahu Akbar. So, this is the colonized, colonized mind I'm speaking about. That just doesn't understand what an honor is to have the Quran in your heart. And what, a, a, what an amazing journey you and your children and your family are. Whoever, adults or youngsters, who are trying to memorize the Quran. That there could be nothing. It's like, subhanAllah, like, you know, like the, my biggest day, like, you know, whatever your biggest day, you're getting married, and, and, and someone comes to you and he's hugging you and he's like, did you take out the garbage today? Today's garbage day. It really is. In this area, it's Tuesday nights, right? Tomorrow morning. Dude, why are you talking about that now? Like, this is my wedding day. Why are you speaking about, did you take out the garbage? You're speaking about Quran here. You're speaking about salawat here. You're speaking about great achievements. And there you have to bring in the dunya all the time. What, what's happening about your college education? What, did, you, did you make sure you fill out your application? By this is the graduation of the one-year program. Why do you keep on bringing that stuff in? Because the mindset is enslaved to this way of thinking. Right? Enslaved to this way of thinking. So they don't know how to think otherwise. This is just how it works. And so, what Rasulullah is saying, that these hearts have become so blackened, scary stuff. That this heart now, any good you share with him, it says, so what? And any evil, you say, did you just hear what happened? This, uh, this certain club just started up in a, in a, in a university, and LGBTQ movement is, Muslims are going towards this. And it's like, yeah, okay, it's a free country, yeah, whatever. You know, it's good to be open-minded and whatever. Did you hear this new law that got passed? Do you hear this issue has happened? And there's no pain in the heart. 
This is what Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam saying in this hadith. Okay, and then he says, "Illa ma ushriba min hawaha." This heart only recognizes that which coincides with the desires of this heart. If 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 if, if something speaks to the desire of the heart. Then he lights up. He says, ah, ye kaam ki baat hai meri. This is something I like. Chalo, next, tell me more about this. But anything that doesn't go in line with that shahwa, with that base desire, he's not interested in listening. Hudayfa radiallahu anhu then told Umar radiallahu anhu, he said, anna baynaka wa baynaha baban mughlaqan. Rasul Sallam mentioned that there is a closed door between you and this fitna. There's what? A closed door. Yushaku an yuksar. But it is very close and very near that this door will be broken. Qala Umar. Umar radiallahu said, Akasran la ababalak. Did he say broken or did he say open? Falawannahu futiha la'allahu kana yu'ad. Because if he said open, then there's a chance that the door will open and the door will close. Qultu la. I said, no, he did not say open. He said, bal yuksar. He said the door will be broken. And then I told him that that door is interpreted as a man who will be killed. Or he will die. Hadithan, this is a true hadith. These are not just random stories. So then, later on, Hudayfa was asked, or the narrators later on were asked, did Umar know what this was about? And he said, of course, Umar knew that that door was who? Umar. That door was Umar himself. That Rasul is saying that Umar is that door that's keeping the fitna out of this ummah. And when he is broken, meaning when he will be killed and will be martyred, then the fitnas will begin. My beloved friends, if this hadith is talking about the fitna that began 1400 years ago, where are we at today? I mean, seriously, I want you to just think how far we and how, what, how much, what is, what a tough situation we're in. That Umar radiallahu, right after the death of Umar radiallahu anhu, the fitna began. Right? And we know that from the time of Uthman radiallahu what type of difficulties the ummah went through. So this hadith is telling us that we must protect our hearts. Fitnas will come, you need to learn how to keep our hearts clean from taking in these ideas. Don't read. They say you are what you eat. And I also tell you, and, and I was just telling you know, my son today, I said, you are what you read. Whatever, if you read filth, that's what you become. If you read all kinds of things about doubtful things and novels of that, that have all sorts of not good ideas, then our mindset will change. Be it a movie, be, a, be, a, be a show, be it a, a social media, TikTok, whatever it is, the things that we watch, the things that we hear, the things that we read, will definitely change the way we think. We are in the midst of fitna right now, my friends. And Surah Al-Kahf is a solution to that. I want to share that Surah, I've, I've asked my Asatidah on this as well, and discussed this idea with them. That the LGBTQ movement is part of the pre-Dajjali era. And, you know, much details can be shared about this if you study it. So just like reciting Surah Al-Kahf is a protection from Dajjal, I've shared this many times, that it's also a protection from the pre-Dajjali era as well. From the fitan of the pre-Dajjali era. So we, we are recommended that we recite Surah Al-Kahf and make our children recite it for protection from this aspect as well. This whole movement that has taken over like a fire within the community. Right? And it was, I, was, I was really 
I uh, was so heartbroken, subhanAllah, just before I started my tafsir today, of, 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 a, of a person who I knew, subhanAllah, who is now publicly, you know, aligning himself with this. And uh, it, it really broke my heart, subhanAllah. It just made me so scared. Of someone who knows ilm, who knows Allah, who studied deen, but how you can fall for the entrapment of shaitan. Right? And he's becoming enlightened with that, or Allah forbid, he's becoming darkened with that. The heart has taken over. That fitna has seeped into the heart, and now he's becoming a, a vocal representative of that whole effort. Just before Isha, this, I read this. It was so disturbing for me. May Allah guide him, may Allah bring him back. But this is not the last one. This is what I want you to listen. This is not the last one. There's going to be thousands, unfortunately. What makes you and I think that we're, it couldn't happen in our family? This person never dreamed. His teachers never dreamed. His mom and dad never dreamed that this will happen. And here you go today. That sad black day has come upon their family and upon him. Surah Al-Kahf. Please use this as a vaccine. Use it as a vaccine. Recite it. Have your children recite it. With this niyyah. Anyone can slip. Anyone can slip. And what's so shocking for me is, is so how Allah teaches me. That same boy I'm speaking about, I used to use him as an example before. Same child. I used to use him as an example. How Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, how what an amazing asset he was. What an amazing mind Allah blessed him with. Most intelligent and how he was using that for the deen, and how I was looking forward to a bright future. But Allah shows him, shows me, subhanAllah, nothing happens without the will of Allah. In one second, Allah subhanAllah can use that beautiful mind in an opposite direction. May Allah bring him back. And may Allah subhanAllah save us from falling into this same trap. Let's wrap up with this ayah. Allah subhanAllah says, when they stood up, there's a few things here, just two, two opinions I want to share. Stood up either to the king, Stood up to the king to speak the truth. And number two is stood up to leave to the cave. Even to leave the, to the cave and give up your job, give up your home to sell it and to move away, that requires guts. That requires strength and power. Where does that power come from? That comes from Allah. That's what you got to do. So qamu either means went out to the cave or went up and stood up against the king. And they said, we will, we will not accept what, what you are saying. Then they started speaking about the people and they said, these people are mushrik. If you, if you want to say something, you got to bring the proof. If you're not going to bring the proof, then you shouldn't say anything. So where's the proof for shirk? There's no proof. Then why are you saying it? Now, last thing he says here, from an The greatest oppression on earth is not an oppression against a fellow human being. A Muslim perspective is, the greatest oppression is to deny Allah. We got to get that down right. Human rights and every other right comes in afterwards for a believer. The number one right is the right of Allah who created you and who created all of humanity. This is an issue of aqidah right here. How many people out there who will, if you are a pinpoint and ask them, what's the greatest sin? Is it to deny Allah? Or is the greatest sin not to feed a person? See? I don't want to even ask this question. Because of the answers I'm afraid I'm going to hear. So it just gives you a litmus test for today. Of what's the condition of the ummah. If this question were to be asked, how many will you hear saying, of course the greatest oppression is to deny the existence of Allah. And after that everything else comes. 
And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, when you eventually left them, what did they leave? They physically left the people of the town and they spiritually, mentally, emotionally left them. You cannot just move away with your heart attached. You can't do that. You have to move away mentally, emotionally, and physically from those ideas and mindsets. So today to do hijrah in the world might be not the hardest thing to do. What's the harder thing to do? Is to make hijrah of the mind and the heart from those ideas. That's the real hijrah we have to do. The hijrah of the mind and the heart from the evil ideas. And they took shelter in a cave. What are they saying? Fa'u. They're saying, go and take shelter and your God will unfold from some, something to you of His mercy. My beloved friends, they're not going to La La Land. They're not going to, they're not going to an island. They're, going, they're leaving the uh, palace that I spoke about last week. And they're going into a dark cave. How can you expect anything nice there? But look at the trust they have in Allah. That if we're giving all of this up for Allah, even though we're going to a cave, Allah will take care of us. How it's going to come, I don't know, have the answer. Allah will take care of us in the cave. Yanshur lakum, Allah will open up, unfold something from His mercy. Number two, and Allah will furnish you in your present circumstances with good facility. What is mirfaqa? Mirfaqa is the ingredients to be able to live. The basic ingredients of life is called mirfaqa, what you need to live. Allah will provide for you your uh, means of livelihood. And what was the means of livelihood from last week? Who remembers? What was the means of living? Huh? Sleep. Thank you. That was it. They felt he put them out, put them down for 300 plus years. So that you can just escape, wait till the storm goes over. Wait till the storm of shirk and kufr go over. 300 years, you go to sleep. We will inshallah start from ayah number 17. Next week, alhamdulillah, that's what I recited and I think so. And we were able to cover it. Uh, we'll, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will speak about now the miracles of the people of the cave. Uh, we, we, we covered very important points today of the role of the youth, the role of us as, as community members in ensuring that our masajid are fully functional to the highest capacity with the highest efficiency and run it like a business in terms of analytics. analytics looking at how many people are coming, how many people are going, how many people are increasing, how many people are decreasing. Think about marketing. Think about how can you make an effort to get people into the house of Allah. And we need fresh talent. We need marketing majors. Yeah, that's what we need. We need members of the board members to have studied ilm, studied deen, and then also come with a marketing background. Why not? Come with uh, uh, some other type of background that will, they can focus on the latest type of ways. I was just thinking, cyber, cyber you know, how they have these... Uh, uh, you know, uh, what you call cyber soldiers or, you know, these type of effort that's being done online with their trolls and all sorts of stuff. I was just thinking, subhanAllah, if we had 20 brothers here, 20 brothers here, who would say, and they were to raise their hand to say, Shaykh, next Tuesday, I'm going to give half hour from 5 p.m. to 5.30 or any time that I am going to ensure that I text, personally text message 20 people. If I were to have 20 people here, I can promise you our crowd will be double next week. But that's the issue. Do we have that? Why can't we have that? Why can't we have 20 people say that's it? On Tuesday is my favorite time. You know, I go out to have eat. I go have Panera bread or whatever you have, you know, bagels here. Tuesday is where I'm going to give half an hour to messaging people. We need to start thinking like that. Is there 20 people who would be willing to do that every Tuesday? You think so? Can I see a show of hands? Who is that? Who makes this, who makes this commitment to Allah? Not to me. Commitment to Allah that every Tuesday you're going to take our time to message at least 20 people. One, two, three, four, five. 
6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20. All right, alhamdulillah. So these 20 people, we're going to definitely see, inshallah, a big difference tomorrow. And those of you who are students from out of state here, and those who are listening online, who say, oh, we want, we're raising our hands too. No problem. Alhamdulillah, Allah is watching you. You can text message people from out of state to listen on, online. Maybe the future board members will be listening. And they'll get inspired. And subhanAllah, what a bright future we have in front of us. That's the whole point. We want to see change, not here only. We want to see change throughout the country and the world. And we have to start somewhere. So we're starting from this dars. But our niyyah is not this masjid only. Our niyyah is the world. That we want to bring change, inshallah, ta'ala, in all the masajid, in all the institutions across the country and across the world, that they start run, running on 100% capacity. And that people start running them with the heart, soul, and mind. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to see that day where the masajid are filled with young people. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect our minds and hearts from all the evil fitan that we, we have uh, spoken about uh, in, in today's dars. Let us do some dhikr, inshallah, and, uh, and then end with a dua. And we have, um, yeah, inshallah. La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. La ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah. La ilaha illallah 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 Muhammadur Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam La ilaha illallah 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 محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم الله 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 
اللہ 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 لا الہ الا اللہ محمد الرسول اللہ صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم صلی اللہ علی محمد 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 صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم استغفر الله 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 الذي لا اله الا هو الحي القيوم واتوب اليه Alhamdulillah, my father came back last night, alhamdulillah, safe uh, from overseas. And alhamdulillah, he's recuperating at home. We continue to ask all of you, inshallah, to remember him in your dua for a complete shifa. And we thank from the bottom of heart all those brothers and sisters from across the globe, actually, who, who made lots of dua for his health and his safe return. May Allah reward you immensely. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow you to enjoy the company of your parents in this world and the next. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us all to have the blessings of our parents and our grandparents with us for many, many years. And those of us who have lost their parents and grandparents, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to, to do such great good deeds that will become a means of sadaqah jariyah for our elders who passed away. Also, one request for dua for Brother Ayaz Ali. Uh, uh, he has a back surgery tomorrow. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, grant shifa and make that surgery um, successful. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Allahumma tasalamu. Kassalamu wa tabarakatuh. Ya adhul jalali wa ikram.
اللهم عيني على ذكرك وشكرك على اسم هذا الذكر اللهم لا مانع ما اعطيت ولا معت لما منعت ولا اراد لما قضيت ولا ينفع ذو الجد منك الجد رب اغفر وارحم وتجاوز ما تعلم انك انت العزيز الاكرم اللهم يا حنان يا منان يا بديع السماوات والارض يا ذو الجلال والاكرام والعزه التي لا ترام اللهم لك الحمد حمدا دائما مع دوامك ولك الحمد حمدا خالدا مع خلودك ولك الحمد حمدا حتى ترضى ولك الحمد حمدا اذا رضيت يا حي يا قيوم ربنا اغفر لنا ذنوبنا واسرافنا في امننا وثبت اقدامنا وانصرنا على القوم الكافرين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد صلاه تنجينا بها من جميع الاحوال والافات وتقضي لنا بها جميع حاجات وتطهرنا بها من جميع السيئات وترفعنا بها عندك على الدرجات وتبلغنا بها اقصى الغايات من جميع الخيرات في الحياه وبعد الممات انك على كل شيء قدير ربنا افرغ علينا صبرا وتوفنا مسلمين ربنا لا تزغ قلوبنا بعد اذ هديتنا وهب لنا من لدنك رحمه انك انت الوهاب ربنا هب لنا من ازواجنا وذرياتنا قره اعين واجعلنا المتقين اماما اللهم اشفنا واشف مرضانا ومرضى المسلمين وارحم موتانا وموتى المسلمين وانصر المستضعفين من المسلمين في كل مكان والله we ask you to accept this gathering oh allah accept all those who are part of this gathering in on site or virtually or who assisted in any way shape or form in in serving the tea and preparing the tea in bringing the snacks inviting others in in the 8 av in the powerpoint in any way shape or form all those youngsters and students of knowledge and our volunteers who who continue to assist in the programs oh allah reward them all for the efforts reward them all for the khair and barakah that comes from here reward all those who attend uh, in and these cool nights and cold nights oh allah who come from far and wide oh allah allow their coming here to become a means of their salvation a means of their forgiveness a means of them getting closer to you ya allah we ask you to make this tafsir dars of ours weekly dars to be accepted in your sight allow it to become a source of happiness for rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam allow it to become a means of bringing a revival in the entire alam in the entire world oh allah allow it to become a means of revival of deen throughout the globe allow it to become a means of revival of the masajid throughout the globe allow it to become a revival of the youth throughout the globe oh allah we ask you allow it to become a means of bringing peace in this in this country and beyond oh allah allow it to become a means of people seeing the beauty of this deen and the beauty of this religion oh allah internally and externally allow it to become a means of people who have left the fold of islam to come back for the people who are considering to leave the islam to not leave the fold of islam oh allah those who are weak to become strong oh allah those who are strong to become stronger oh allah allow it to become a means of my protection and the protection of all those who are attending oh allah of our generations to come oh allah allow surah al-kahf to become our our partner in this world and in the grave and on the day of judgment allow it to become a witness for us in the grave and the witness for us in the akhirah oh allah enable every one of us to memorize surah al-kahf enable every one of us to memorize surah al-kahf all those who made niyyah and those who yet have to make niyyah make it easy for everyone to memorize the entire surah al-kahf oh allah make it easy for every one of us to recite the entire surah al-kahf on a weekly basis and hopefully on a regular basis oh allah oh allah grant us a special connection with the surah allow us to contemplate over its meanings oh allah we ask you allah to through the barakah of this protect our children and ourselves from the various trials and tribulations of this era and the era of, of the future ya allah oh allah we ask you to allow us to reach and exceed the goal we have made for the salawat oh allah please allow your allow your servants to become motivated allow the men and women who are listening here who are part of this group oh allah allow inspire them give them the tawfiq to do thousands allow them to outdo themselves allow them to outdo their expectations and allow them to send so many salutations upon the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam that rasul sallam becomes so happy with this community that he sees that the, the, the nur of this place and this community of the salawat should shine upon the dwellers of the heavens oh allah that millions of angels will wish and and compete with one another to come to this place to come to this environment to be able to witness the salawat to be able to witness the dhikr to be able to witness the goodness of the hearts of the brothers and sisters who come here oh allah inspire us all to complete our goal that we have kept for ourselves allow us to exceed that oh allah allow the sira conference of next weekend oh allah to become a means of revival of the sunnah throughout the world oh allah make it, make it a means of bringing change into our lives and the lives of humanity and the lives of son of our sons and daughters oh allah allow the program to be completely filled to capacity and anyone and everyone who comes on next weekend allow their lives to be changed forever Oh Allah, oh Allah, all those poor souls who are looking for light at the end of the tunnel, who are searching for you and have tried all the doors and 
found those doors to be closed, allow them to find the doors of this place to be open for them. Allow them to be able to find the, the doors of this place and the event to be open for them. And allow them to find you through this place, Ya Allah. Oh Allah, we ask you, Allah, to protect all of us in our health, in our wealth, in our children, in our iman. Grant shifa to all those who are sick. O oh Allah, from spiritual illnesses, physical illness, mental illness, emotional illnesses. Ya Allah, Ya Allah, grant shifa to all of us through the barakah of the Quran. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma sifoon. Wa salamun ala mursaleed. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Ameen. Inshallah, please enjoy the tea and the, uh, the snacks on your way out. Make, keep, make sure you keep them in your dua. All the brothers, inshallah. And the sisters too as well.